Good morning and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to tell you about the stalker and spree killer Richard Farley. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. Richard Farley was born in Texas on July 25th, 1948. He was the oldest of six kids, and his dad was an aircraft mechanic in the Air Force, so they moved around quite a bit. Their family finally settled in Petaluma, California when Richard was eight years old. And by all accounts, he was a pretty normal kid. He never got into any trouble. His childhood seemed pretty normal. I did see one article where it said that his father was abusive, but... I did not see that anywhere else, so I'm not going to claim that to be true, but I do feel like I should mention that it was reported in one spot, but from his mother's like testimony, he had a normal childhood. And I feel like a lot of times whenever there's a serial killer, a spree killer or something, they always try to connect in and just say, oh, he must have been abused as a child. So it totally could have just been an assumption that they just concluded because of his actions in the future. Richard graduated from high school in 1966 and went to Santa Rosa Community College for about a year. But after a year, he decided to drop out and he joined the U.S. Navy. In the Navy, he worked on electronic equipment and he had access to some pretty high classified information. Ooh, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, he was qualified for top level security clearance while he was in the Navy. So he was pretty high up there. And he ended up staying in the Navy for 10 years. After he left the Navy, Richard bought a home in San Jose, California, and went to work at Electromagnetic System Laboratories in Sunnyvale, California, or ESL for short. While he was there, he was a computer technician working on developing signal processing systems for the military. And up until 1984, he had received only above satisfactory performance evaluations. Some co-workers thought he was a little arrogant and egotistical, but for the most part, they all said that he was a seemingly nice guy, a hard worker, and he just kind of fell in with the crowd. Like, he wasn't, there was nothing that made him really stick out. Which I feel like a lot of people that are in like a spree killer mindset or a serial killer mindset try their best to kind of fade in and not stand out so much that it's going to like draw attention to them in any way. Yeah, and I think, well, up until this point, he really was just a quiet guy who kept to himself. He wasn't super social, but he wasn't so awkward around people that they would notice it. So he just kind of came in, did his job, and left. The one thing that some of his coworkers mentioned is that Richard liked to talk about his extensive gun collection and that he had very good marksmanship. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, 
help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Everything with Richard was seemingly normal until one day in 1984 when he was introduced to a co-worker of his, Laura Black. Laura was 22 at the time and working at ESL as an electrical engineer. She was known as a highly respected worker and she put in a lot of hours and a lot of hard work. Nobody had anything bad to say about Laura. One day for a lunch break, Richard, Laura, and another co-worker all went out to eat and Richard was immediately drawn to Laura. However, the feeling was not mutual. Richard started asking Laura on dates, calling her all the time and writing her letters, and he would leave baked goods that he had cooked on her desk, which don't get me wrong, I love some good baked goods, but when they're coming from someone who will not leave you alone, probably not wanting to eat them. No, I'd be a little concerned that maybe they were poisoned or I don't know what, maybe he's mad that I turned him down on these dates, but it just, maybe it's a nice gesture, but I told you no, just accept it. Yeah, and Richard did not accept it, and Laura tried to let him down nicely and politely so that he would know she wasn't interested without being rude, as you do in these kind of situations. And she was thinking, the less attention I give him, the more he'll just leave me alone. But Richard did not take it that way. Richard continued to write Laura letters, and he would write ones that would intentionally make her mad because he said later that if she was angry enough, she would confront him, and at least she was talking to Richard at this point, even if it was out of anger. Richard tried to contact Laura's family a couple times and sent her letters talking about terms of them buying a house together. That's creepy, 100%. In his head, they were in a relationship. And it just continued and continued and started to get more extreme. He'd start driving by her house, calling her at home. He joined her aerobics class at her gym and even tried to move into her apartment complex. I'm a little creeped out right now. Like, if a guy tried to do this, I'd probably file a restraining order on him. Well, she was really trying to play it down. Advice for any of you that think playing it down is a good idea, it's Probably not. You know, and with a lot of stalkers, they're not going to just give up. Once their mind is set on a target, they will not stop. It's always better to be safe than sorry. In any situation, especially like this one, I would have just recommended filing that restraining order, doing something, anything. Richard was able to also gain access to her office and go through her stuff. And one time Laura accidentally left her house key there And he took it and made copies of her house key. My eyes are so wide right now because I'm just like, what? Oh, yeah. And he, I mean, there was this one time where she went to Virginia to visit her parents and started receiving letters to their address from Richard. No idea how he got that address. And Laura tried to do what she could. She actually moved 
It was two or three times I saw it reported both ways, but regardless, she moved more than she needed to to avoid this stalker. She changed her phone number to an unlisted one, which now that doesn't make a lot of sense. But back in the day, there were phone books. And so she made it so her number was not in that phone book. And she tried to confide in some of her co-workers who could see clearly what was going on. And when they tried to intervene and talk to Richard, he would become violent with them and threaten them. And something that was noted is he loved to bring up the fact that he had this extensive gun collection and he would throw it in there. And I think it just made people worried enough that they didn't want to get too involved just in case. And like I said, it was the 1980s and... At this time, there weren't any anti-stalking laws in place, and he hadn't done anything that actually broke a law. And stalking was just coming up as a term, and there was not a lot of help and guidance on what to do in these situations, and not a lot of research yet on it. Laura finally decided to go to HR Human Resources at ESL for help, and they talked to Richard and threatened to fire him if he didn't leave her alone and issued him some written warnings. And this is where I get a little frustrated, but I'll let you just listen first. And then HR had to meet with him a second time because he would not let up on Laura and he still kept bothering her. After the second time HR met with him, they issued him another warning and Richard was mad. So he actually confronted Laura outside her apartment and told her that he was no longer going to ask her what to do, but is going to start telling her what to do. And started throwing his threats around about his extensive gun collection again. And then Richard was so mad, he went and confronted HR and said that they had no right to control his relationship with others. And the people in HR were like, hey man, sexual harassment is illegal and we can fire you. We do have a right to say this because it needs to be a safe work environment. And then he said if they were to fire him, he would have nothing else to live for. And then he talked about his extensive gun collection So at this point, it's May of 1986, they finally decide to fire Richard from ESL and they ban him from the property. In theory, Laura was hoping that this would help because at least he wasn't around her on a day-to-day basis. I'm a little worried that all that did was piss him off even more. And you would guess correctly, after he was fired, Richard became angry and the stalking increased and it switched more from like loving and compassionate towards Laura to threatening all the time, which before is kind of alternating with him getting mad because she was kind of rejecting him to him being like, oh, our relationship's so good. Let's buy a house together. (laughs) Richard started to also spend a lot of time in the ESL parking lot, just sitting in his vehicle, which he was banned from there, but evidently that did not matter to him. And in the summer of 1986, he began dating a woman named Mei Ching, but apparently it didn't matter because he still continued to harass Laura. And I just thought that was so interesting because they don't mention it that much. I saw in one documentary where they just casually mentioned his fiance, so they may have been engaged. And then I was like, what? And I start looking everywhere and they don't mention it very much, but he did have a girlfriend or fiance during part of this time, which it's very interesting to me that he could have this other significant other, but still have this in his head relationship. And then I also wonder how much about it she knew. I mean, I like to assume that she didn't know any of it. Yeah, I likely 
Probably not, but because Richard was no longer working, he began to have money problems. He lost his home, his car, and his computer, and he owed a lot of money. And in November of 1987, he wrote this in a letter to Laura, quote, you cost me a job, $40,000 in equity taxes I can't pay and a foreclosure, yet I still like you. Why do you want to find out how far I'll go? End quote. And then he ended the letter with, quote, I absolutely will not be pushed around. I am beginning to get tired of being nice, end quote, which I don't think he was being that nice. I also don't think that she was trying to see how far he would go. I think she was just like, I want you to stop. So please stop. And also, sir, you cost yourself that job. Exactly. That is not her fault. Your actions are your actions. She just reacted and you lost your job. It's a consequence. What do you expect? Yeah, um, within this three and a half year period, he had sent her nearly 200 letters, not to mention all the phone calls, all the drive-bys, all the baked goods. And finally, Laura was like, HR fired him. He's not allowed on the property, but he still will not leave me alone. So she decides to seek help from an attorney and they decide a temporary restraining order would be good. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Most of the stuff seemed to be happening not even at a, like, not even at work. Like, he was moving near her. He was following her. He was calling her all the time. Yeah, he was leaving big goods and stuff on her desk. And that was how he got a copy of her house key. By the way, did that come back into play yet? Or is that coming back into play? No, I mean, I think at this point was one of the times she moved. Oh, okay. But I think most of it was like happening outside of work. So coming to HR was probably good to get him out of work in the first place so that he wasn't being able to bother you there. But I think that going to the police was 100% the next step. This just pissed off Richard even more because now he had to stay at least 300 yards away from her and he was not allowed to contact her. No more phone calls, no more letters, no more showing up in her aerobics class and he wasn't happy. And at this point, he was so angry with her that he contacted his lawyer to have Laura removed from his will. Wait. (laughs) Yeah, I have that bolded and underlined because I was like, what? (laughs) She was in his will? He wrote her into his will. Was she receiving everything? Because that could have been beneficial for her. Uh, I'm not sure the extent of it. But yeah, and I assume she had no idea of this. But in his head, they were in this committed relationship. So... So this might be getting ahead of you again, and I know you hate when I do it, but I I would probably diagnose him as clinically insane. I don't know if you get into any of that, but he's insane. You know, I don't get a lot into it because I was actually wanting to see what you were thinking. And my mind goes through this a couple times, and I will say a couple more things that kind of go more towards it when the trial and stuff comes up. And I will get more into it when the trial comes up because some of the things he says and does, like in his head, he genuinely believes that they are in a relationship. And he thinks Laura is just being absolutely ridiculous and over the top by getting this restraining order. He even drops off a box of what he calls proof that him and Laura were in a romantic relationship to Laura's lawyer. And it had like dinner receipts, movie tickets, and things that they supposedly had done together, which, I mean, none of it was accurate. Everything you're explaining to me is kind of reminding me of this disorder. It's called erotomania. So they basically just, they believe that somebody is in love with them and they act on that. So it's a delusion where they feel like 
they do have this relationship of some sort. And I I don't know if they really go into like the psychology behind him or not, but that's just kind of the way that my brain works. So when you're talking about him feeling like maybe she was kind of betraying him and like being kind of crazy about not wanting to be with him and he's got all this evidence that they are in this relationship, it just was really reminding me of this delusional disorder. When I 100% agree with you, it does sound like that. The unfortunate thing is, is this was 40 years ago and I don't know that they even had all the research into the psychology behind these things at this time. So they didn't know how to deal with it. Like nowadays, we can identify that and name it and figure out how to move from there. But I don't think they had that much research back then. A trial date of February 17th, 1988 was set to make that temporary restraining order a permanent one. This set off Richard even more. On February 16th, 1988, Richard sat in his rented motorhome in the parking lot of ESL for hours and he was dressed in military attire, gloves, and had a scarf around his head. He had also armed himself with a shotgun, a high-powered rifle, and two automatic pistols, as well as a knife, smoke bomb, and gasoline container. He had spent nearly $1,500 on all of this stuff. Shortly before 3 p.m., Richard exited his vehicle and headed towards the doors of ESL. And he came across Larry Kane, who was a former co-worker of Richard's when he still worked there. Larry was on his way out to his car after lunch with a colleague. And Richard opened fire on Larry and killed him instantly. Richard then shot out the glass on the doors to enter the building and went inside and continued shooting at anything and everything and unfortunately everyone in his path. He made his way up to Laura's office and Laura slammed the door shut and locked it, but Richard shot through it twice. One shot missed her and one hit her in the shoulder. That's at least a shot that she could survive. Yeah, and luckily he didn't try to go inside the room. He just left after he took those shots. Also, I think that shooting at somebody that you supposedly love isn't the best move. Yeah, I think it was just out of retaliation for the restraining order. Richard continued to make his way through ESL and eventually police and SWAT are made aware of the situation and make their way there. And negotiators are able to make contact with Richard. And for over five hours, they talk with Richard on and off trying to get him to surrender and come out. And they had snipers set up, but they weren't able to track Richard because he kept moving from room to room constantly. During this time, some employees are able to escape and some are just hiding in closets under desks because Richard was moving around so much they were afraid to come out. And Laura actually managed to make her way into another office where some of her co-workers were hiding and they helped her stop her bleeding and were able to escape out the front doors. So Laura made it out of the building and so did a couple of her co-workers so far? Yes. Okay, that, that we know of anyways. At one point, while on the phone with negotiators, Richard said, quote, did you find out if Laura is doing okay? Check because I hope she is doing good. She can't regret it if she doesn't live, end quote. So I don't know that he was aiming to kill her. Probably not. I kind of feel like he was just trying to get her attention. Kind of like the 
like Riley Gull in Emma Walker's case where mm-hmm. he just said he was shooting to get her attention and to kind of scare her a little bit. I kind of feel like that's maybe what he was doing. My question here, though, is what does he want her to regret? The relationship? The fact that she, like, got the restraining order against him? He wants her to regret not going out with him because at some point later on, he says if she had just gone out with him, according to Richard, this would all have been avoided. What ended the standoff between him and authorities is that he got to a point where he was just very tired and hungry and he even offered to give up the guns if he could get some food and diet coke you know he's a psychopath if he likes diet coke (laughs) yeah i just thought it was interesting that that was what got him at the end and he finally surrendered unfortunately at the end of all of it two women and five men were all dead and four wounded and they were all employees of esl and he had shot 98 rounds of ammunition It's a lot for a victim count of five. Well, four were wounded. He shot a lot of the computers and other technology in there, I think out of anger for ESL for firing him. I still think he needs to realize that the reason ESL fired him was because he was doing inappropriate things and it was all on him. He absolutely puts all the blame on everyone else. I, I don't think the ESL really had a choice in the matter as to whether or not they fired him. I am going to go ahead and read you guys the names of the victims. Joe Silva, Buddy Williams, Glenda Mortiz, Ron Reed, Helen Leparter, Lawrence Kane, Ron Doney. And then the ones who actually survived were Laura Black, Gregory Scott, Richard Townsley, and Patty Marcotte. Richard Farley was charged with seven counts of capital murder, assault with a deadly weapon, second-degree burglary, and vandalism. And even throughout court, Richard was in total denial, like we said earlier. And he said he wanted to teach Laura a lesson so that she wouldn't play with other people's lives, which is so ironic because he was definitely the one messing with her life. Yeah, he was definitely the one that was in the wrong here. Um, And I'm just really going to stick with that if you want somebody to love you or you want to teach somebody a lesson, probably not the best way to go about it by shooting up their workplace. Richard pled not guilty and they went to trial and defense tried to say that it wasn't premeditated and that he never planned to kill and just wanted to get Laura's attention. But prosecution was like, hey. He bought all those guns, all the ammunitions, he made all the threats, and sat out there for hours and thought about what he was going to do. And obviously, the jury didn't buy it. They deliberated for only an hour and found him guilty on all charges, and he was sentenced to death. And Richard is now currently sitting on death row and San Quentin. Laura was hospitalized for 19 days from her injuries, but made a full recovery. And a year and a half later, went back to work at ESL. She said she wanted to honor the lives that were lost there and felt that if she didn't come back, that Richard would have won and she didn't want him to have that power. And I just have such mad respect for this woman. I just feel like that that does take like a really strong woman because I feel like I would struggle with going back there and just feeling safe. It's really a testament to how powerful she is. And it's because of this case that California imposed the nation's first anti-stalking law. And stalking today is a crime under the laws of 50 states, the District of Columbia, the U.S. territories, and the federal government. For resources and information on stalking and a place where you can go get help if you feel like you have a stalker, you can visit stalkingawareness.org. 
You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.